Hebrews 13, 1 through 8. This is God's inerrant, totally sufficient word. Let brotherly love continue. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember those who rule over you, who have spoken the word of God to you. Whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Father, we bow before you. We rejoice that, Lord, you never change. And we thank you for relationships that you have allowed by your goodness. And pray that we learn more about those today, that you'd help us to apply your precious word for the glory of your holy name. And we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, as you can tell, this is all about relationships today, and really, we're all about relationships. Our life is about relationships, but I didn't always think that way. When I was young, I was not a believer when I was very young, and so I looked at relationships differently. I was content, uh, too content, really, with just one. I had a twin brother. There's always somebody to play with, so I always had a relationship. doesn't mean it was always great or we're always loving toward each other. In fact, we fought each other, uh, you know, sometimes. Uh, but uh, praise God, the Lord had a plan in my life to make relationships extremely important to me and dear to me. You are dear to me. And he has changed me. I started studying this passage some time ago uh, because I was thinking mostly of Hebrews 13.3, I was thinking about the persecuted. I was doing some thinking about the persecuted, our family around the world. And we're going to look at this in a minute. But verse 3 says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated since you yourselves are in the body also. And so this is about, I was thinking about this, though, related to relationships. Uh, All of this regarding my and our relationships and our responsibility to our persecuted brethren. So I started that way, uh, but then I realized, looking at the context, I saw uh, that we are to serve God and worship God acceptably, and we do that primarily through our our worships, our our relationships, our relationship with Him and, and with one another, which we must cherish and we must develop. Hebrews 12, 28 says, and it begins this way. He, uh, uh, the, actually, Hebrews 12, 28 begins the concluding uh, remarks by the author of Hebrews on how to apply all that he just told us about our great high priest. Verse 28 says, since we are receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace, he said. Let us have grace. So this letter tells us that we have a better high priest the Lord Jesus Christ, who is superior to Aaron, to the Aaronic priesthood, who is, and he is also a superior sacrifice, and in whom we have received an eternal and an unshakable kingdom by faith. 
And because we are now citizens of the unshakable kingdom of Jesus Christ together here, we have been given grace. And we're able to give grace and to relate with grace. So going on, it says, let us have grace by which we may serve or worship God acceptably with reverence and godly fear for our God is a consuming fire. So only the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ enables us to worship and serve God and to have a relationship with him, which is reverent and has the right kind of fear. And the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ also enables us to have godly relationships with each other, to worship and serve the Lord through these relationships. The main point of the sermon. The writer of Hebrews is showing that uh, this is needful. It's possible, praise God, and it is extremely needful, especially during persecution and trial and stress as this uh, church was going through. And praise God that our God being a consuming fire, purifies us by the flame of his Holy Spirit to have godly relationships. Not just relationships, godly ones. And fire, you know, kind of does two things. It consumes, it can consume. It consumes and it purifies. And our Lord consumes, we've been singing about this throughout the service today. The Lord consumes his adversaries and that which does not please him. And he purifies his children. He purifies us for our relationships, for his glory. And so let's look at these relationships, these seven uh, that I'm going to be referring to, and how to serve and how to grow in grace. Now, a few thoughts I've had or things that helped me uh, is from the book, Servanthood is Worship, that you all have, I hope. If you don't, I brought, uh, Daniel brought the extra ones from the office. Servanthood is Worship. It's a small book. It's turned out to be quite a blessing for a number of you. So... Let's begin, first one begins, let brotherly love continue. Let it continue. It's possible to have it now. We have it now and let it continue. Notice that uh, it says let. We have the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So the love of Christ dwells in us. And this love for each other should be growing. It shouldn't be stagnant. In fact, I think love could never be looked at as stagnant. This is a fruit of the Spirit, the first in the list. And it shouldn't be held back, shouldn't be allowed to wane or lapse or grow weak. So we're to let love continue. So in other words, as we talked about last week from Hebrews 10, we need to stir it up, we need to stir each other up to love and to good deeds, good works. And Romans 12 says this, verse 10, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. Kindly affectionate. I did get a holy kiss today. I got one. But that's only one aspect of that. So Paul in Thessalonians, he was talking about the Thessalonians in chapter 4, verse 9. He said, he's talking to them. He said, writing to them. But concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. So they were doing that. The Thessalonians were doing that. They were being taught by God. We are being taught by God. And yet Paul prayed for them this verse. This is chapter 3, verse 12. He said, may the Lord make you increase and abound in love to one another. In other words, it shouldn't stay the same. It should be abounding. It should be overflowing. It should be abundant. It should be more than we can ask or think. 
and that this fruit of the Spirit would grow in you. That's what we should pray. This kind of love should characterize any true church of Jesus Christ, its growth, uh, any gathering of members of the unshakable kingdom should be the prime characteristic of us. But how is this stirred up? Last week, Hebrews 10.24, in the meditation, uh, it, it said we're to consider, first of all, it said consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. Have you been considering this week? Since I urged you last week, exhorted you. Consider, how do we do that? How do I do that when I'm here? How do I do that in my family? Consider how to stir up each other. In other words, how to prod, or how to poke each other. First of all, I would suggest pray. Pray for each other. It's hard to be angry at a person or unloving toward a person or unforgiving if you are praying for them. You will increase your love for people as you pray for them. Are you praying regularly for people in this church? I mean regularly. I know you pray. This ministry is not very visible, of course, but it is foundational and it is vital to the health of our body, this body. Prayer takes time, right? It takes effort, it takes dying to self, uh, it takes thought, it takes faith, uh, it takes a knowledge of the scriptures, it takes a knowledge of the person you're praying for, so we have to get to know them, we have to relate with them. It's a labor of love as we pray for one another. Secondly, uh, physically serve and help one another. So love, I believe, really grows as we serve each other and work to bless each other. I believe we are also growing in this. But if you feel you are not growing like you want to be or you're not loving your brother or sister as you should be, serve them. Think of ways how to do that practically. Give your heart and life to them in a sense. 1 John 3 tells us this, verse 18. It says, let us not love just in word or in speech, but in deed and in truth also. So that love should be increasing in all those areas. And then third, listen. Listen to each other. And then speak the truth in love. So if you don't listen first, you're less likely to speak, I believe, the truth in love. And speaking the truth to each other is a very loving thing to do. Proverbs 18, 13 says, he who answers a matter before he hears it, before he listens, it is folly and shame to him. Fourth, we did this last week. I'm just going to mention it. Review your membership vows. I would suggest on the date you became a member. It's kind of like my wife and I. We review our marriage vows on our anniversary. It's a good idea, good practice. Because then we remember, like we saw last week, what do those one another's mean? What did I vow before the living God? And ask, ask God to help you fulfill those. You can't do it by, but by grace. But we should be seeking to fulfill that. So let brotherly love continue to grow Work hard at stirring up loving relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ here. I know you have them. Make them even more loving and abundant in love. Verse two, do not forget to entertain strangers for by so do doing, some have unwittingly entertained angels. So we're not to neglect showing hospitality to brothers and sisters in the Lord and to those who cross our paths by God's sovereign plan. Now this word entertain uh, means showing hospitality is not the prevailing meaning of entertain in our culture. Uh, it might be a part of true hospitality in your home that there's some entertainment there, but it's, it's beyond that. Hospitality ranked very high in the Hebrew culture. 
uh, even in some of the cultures around them, such as the Greeks, you wouldn't think so, but they had this, they had this pagan god named Zeus who was a so-called patron of strangers and whatever Greek guy made him up said that uh, he would go around disguised as a traveler and brought great blessing to those who treated him hospitably. Okay, they had some of that in Greek culture. And the Jews uh, were noted for this uh, in their own way. Uh, Think of Abraham, Genesis 18, when he showed great hospitality to the Lord and to the two angels. He was very gracious and completely at the service of his guests. In fact, he ran to meet them. He bowed with his face to the ground. He washed their feet. He fed them, certainly. and And then he said this. He said, that you may refresh your hearts. That's why I'm doing this. I want to refresh your hearts, he said. And that's a good goal for hospitality, to refresh the hearts of others. Whoever comes into your home. Our Lord Jesus said this, I referred to it earlier, Matthew 25, 35. He told us that if we are serving others in his name, we are serving him. We are serving our king. For I was hungry, he said, and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in. And then later in verse 40, he said, inasmuch as you did it to one of the least of these, my brethren, you did it to me. In other words, to disciples, other Christians, to the least, you did it to me. 1 Peter 4, verse 9 says, be, it's a command, be hospitable to one another, but it adds this. It says, without grumbling. So apparently, it's possible to grumble when we're being hospitable. But it says, be hospitable to one another without grumbling. So we should be hospitable and have a joyful attitude about it. And this relates even to those mentioned in verse three, uh, verse three that was received, for those who are persecuted. But, but certainly also for travelers in, in, in our location, Christian travelers, missionaries who are going through, uh, friends and family, uh, people from the CPC who come through here all the time. And we're grateful for them. Galatians 6, as says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, but especially to those who are of the household of faith. Maybe so. In 3 John, verses 5 through 8, the apostle John was writing to Gaius, and thus to the churches Gaius was serving, and he was talking about serving and helping the brethren and strangers, he said. But he said this, beloved, you do faithfully whatever you do for the brethren and for strangers. In other words, he's already commending them. He saw how good they were at, how faithful they were at helping the brethren and strangers. And it went on. He said, who have borne witness of your love before the church. So in other words, all those people they were helping, they went out and told people about, wow, this church is really hospitable for the glory of God. May it be so here. And then he went on, Apostle John said, if you send them forward on their journey in a manner worthy of God, you will do well. Again, the the Lord is commanding him. You will do well if you do that through John. And so our goal, dear family, should be that we send them forward refreshed. Refreshed in heart and physically. So how do we grow in hospitality? Well, first of all, observe those who are gifted in hospitality. We have a number of them here, praise God. And, And just learn from them. Ask, you know, watch them. There are many gifted here. Uh, There's a large house in Louisville, in fact, where many of us have eaten. Some people have slept there. Maybe, I don't know. Uh, Played games there. We've been served in many ways there. And I'm not sure if if they always thought 
that all of us were, that they were entertaining angels at that point, but they opened their home to us. And many, many of you have done that, and you know the joy of that. You know the joy of developing loving relationships by sacrificing, in a sense, I guess, a sacrifice of love. And may we grow in this. May we continue to grow in this. And secondly, ask God to give you a heart to serve. Maybe it's just, you just don't have the desire to do that. Maybe one in a couple may have it, or others in the family, but ask God to make you uh, have a heart for that. And the means to do it if you feel you don't. Again, some are gifted, but all of us are called to be hospitable at some level. Everybody here, we're all to grow in this. And it can and should involve the whole household, I think, as much as possible, even the little ones. Even the little ones. Not just the parents. This is how, I believe, our children learn to serve and to learn the joy of hospitality and growing relationships. Well, finally, see yourself as a steward. A steward of all that God has given to you. It's all his. He gave you these things to use for the blessing of others. And offer them to him and yourself to him in the service of his body. And may the Lord keep us from covetousness, certainly, and hoarding and, and make us a giving people, more a giving people. Hospitality is very important for growth in Christ's likeness, I believe, and it should be pursued. It should be developed with joy. So exercise hospitality, dear family, and through it, develop relationships with those around you uh, or those the Lord causes to cross your path. Well, third, verse three, remember the prisoners as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, since you yourselves are in the body also. And this is, like I said earlier, the verse that I was thinking about when I started looking at the context here, and I started realizing the importance of all these relationships. And this might be harder to understand. How do we relate in this? But we're commanded to remember the prisoners, our brothers and sisters in Christ who are bound, uh, who are captive, who are being persecuted, who are being uh, mistreated. And that's why almost every Lord's Day we refer to something from Voice of the Martyrs or ICommitToBay.com, uh, you know, those, those websites. Um, we not only should remember them, but I think in some way to put ourselves in their shoes, so to speak, and think about what it would be like to be chained with them. In other words, we have to inform ourselves because we're, we're not there, obviously, so we have to be informed. What are they going through? You know, sometimes when I read Voice of the Martyrs or some of those, I, I try to imagine, I, I don't know what I would do. I'm sitting comfortably, and I, hear, I read terrible things. And if you read Fox's Book of Martyrs, you know some of what was done, some is still being done to our brothers and sisters. Well, I can't fathom it, but I do try to pray specifically for the needs of these dear people. And I'm sure that's what the Lord desires for us. So be informed as much as possible so you can pray specifically for them. It is relating with them. And if we were really chained with them, you know, and imprisoned with them, certainly we would seek to encourage them and bless them, kind of like Paul singing in prison. And it would be by the grace of God, certainly. Matthew Henry said this, those that are themselves at liberty, meaning uh, we're not bound, us, must sympathize with those that are in bonds and adversity as if they were bound with them in the same chain. They must feel the sufferings of their brethren. As hard as that may be, I believe 
There's a way to do that. We, we can, let's help each other to learn how to do that. Now, the Hebrew Christians were already doing this. Hebrews 10, uh, earlier than in this letter, verses 32 and 34, says this. But recall the former days in which after you were illuminated, meaning after you were regenerated, born again, you endured a great struggle with sufferings. Partly while you were made a spectacle both by reproaches and tribulations, and partly while you became companions of those who were so treated. For you had compassion on me in my chains and joyfully accepted the plundering of your goods, knowing that you have a better and an enduring possession for yourselves in heaven. So they had compassion on those who were in chains. They knew suffering, and they could more than imagine, really, some of them probably, what some of their brothers and sisters were going through. But Paul still urged them to remember, and it's all too easy not to do this. It's very easy to become unmindful. It's hard for us to comprehend, to understand the reality of this kind of persecution because we have not seen this, maybe read a little bit about it. We have not seen it like our dear brothers and sisters in Asia or the Middle East or Vietnam, India, China, even Germany and homeschool families in Germany whose children are taken away because they want to teach through the Bible. And we are also in the body, meaning we are physically weak. We, we can kind of comprehend some of that. So we might understand a little bit about their thirst or their hunger or their loneliness or the ridicule they face or their mocking or their mental anguish for a father who isn't there to provide for his children or, like I just mentioned, they're denied education. Their children are taken away from them. And we might face this someday. So how do we remember the persecuted? Pray. Again, as I was meditating on this verse, I, I went more often, a few more times anyway, to Voice of the Martyrs website. That's persecution.com. I went to, um, uh, what was the other one I was thinking? Uh, International Christian Concern, I'm sorry. Um, and that, I think, is persecution.org. So go to those websites. If it's been a long time since you read about our, the current situation of our brothers. It might be good to remind yourself. You can sign petitions, by the way, through some of those. You can pray <clears throat> uh, with your family every day for them. You can actually send mail uh, or send uh, information uh, through Voice and Martyrs and others. So you can begin, in a way, to establish a relationship. So, also again, read to your children about believers being persecuted so they grow up knowing that being a Christian involves persecution. 2 Timothy 3, verse 12. Everyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. It would not be healthy for our children to be unaware of what is done to the body of Christ around the world or for any of us to think that what happens to our brothers and sisters in Christ does not impact us. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 26. If one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. Part of any history curriculum for homeschoolers, I think, should have Fox's Book of Martyrs, Tortured for Christ, any number of those books in your curriculum. And when persecution comes, 
Hebrews 12.3 is a verse you should have memorized. Hebrews 12.3, consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself so that you, the different version, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Consider Jesus who endured such hostility. That is how I have read, as I was reading Voice of the Martyrs again, how many of the persecuted do endure. They do see Jesus in this. They do praise him for the blood he shed for them. So let's pray for them that they will look to him and consider him who suffered for them. That's their, he is their great hope. And so remember the prisoners, the persecuted as if chained with them, those who are mistreated, and relate with them in every way possible through prayer, through reading about them like I shared, writing to them. Verse four, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. So the marriage relationship, as you know, was established at the beginning at creation and is to be held in very high honor. It is God's divinely ordained institution. And the Greek word for honorable here also conveys a couple of ways that help us think about that. Uh, of great, it's of great price, or it's very precious. It is esteemed, and it is especially dear. Those are words that help us to understand how precious marriage is. Marriage was established by God to alleviate loneliness, to provide companionship, which models that which the church has with our Lord Jesus. And this complementary relationship is the basis for the development of the family and the civil government and gives the ability to carry out the dominion mandate. And so with all that, it should be highly esteemed. And in many cultures, let's say a decreasing number maybe, but it is still held up as a foundation of uh, the family and of society, even if they don't know the biblical basis of that, just culturally, maybe. Yet we see all around us how the enemy is working to divide what is precious to God, to put asunder asunder what God has united through the pernicious impact of pornography, through the media and its low estimation of marriage and how much they scoff at it, through especially the last two or three years, it seems to me, the sexual roles being perverted and allowed, even by so-called church leaders, by easy divorce laws, by feminism, certainly. All these divide this sacred institution. So we're commanded here to honor the marriage relationship and pray against that and war against that. Part of the enemy's tactics in this war against marriage has always been to break this precious relationship by encouraging sexual infidelity. And since sexual impurity and unfaithfulness undermines marriage, it is especially condemned and judged by God. It says here, God will judge. So this relationship must be cherished, must be highly honored, and thus developed. It must be nurtured in every way God gives you grace to do that. It can't be assumed that if you just get started, that it will, everything will be fine. It will grow well on its own. Marriage takes work. So we must work hard to keep it holy and pleasing to the Lord. If we are not vigilant in growing this relationship, like I said, in nourishing it, protecting it, we will certainly suffer. 
So will the family, your family suffer. <clears throat> so will this church suffer, this church family. And so we need to encourage each other in our marriages. And again, we can see all around us the consequences of this not happening, of this division happening. There's depression and loneliness on a massive scale right now, not just because of COVID. <clears throat> Many relationships were damaged. Since, and so this is a holy companionship that we're talking about, and it's divided and it's marred. There are economic impacts to uh, the family and society due to broken families, plenty of emotional pain when marriages break or, or struggling, and there's the physical consequences too, stress and pain. So how do we grow this relationship? Read Ephesians 5. Not going to right now. How do we keep it precious, though? Again, I will say we should pray, but I think we need to resist all that puts it asunder. Specifically for you, what is that in your case? But all that puts marriage asunder. Matthew 19, verses 4 through 6, Jesus said, What God has joined together, let not man put asunder. Words of the Lord, meaning at least, this is in the context of divorce, meaning at least easy, easy divorce. So this verse usually brings to mind, I think, at least to me, what uh, people in what the world and the devil uh, outside marriage do to break it up. But it also means that we ourselves in that marriage relationship, married couples, should do nothing that breaks or cracks this relationship. Men, we should make a covenant with our eyes, as Job did, Job 31.1. And flee from the passions of the flesh that wage war against our soul. That was in our readings this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me, 1 Peter 1.21. It, it makes war on our soul, but it, it also makes war on our marriages and on our wives and our children. We can't maintain a holy marriage if we watch what defiles our minds. In Ephesians 5, verse 3, it says, Fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, must not even be named among you as is fitting among saints. Ladies, seek to respect and uphold the leadership of the family given to husbands by God. The proper complementary role, roles will uh, break down if you do not honor and respect your husband. I'll just make a note of that in a minute. Secondly, take a lot of time to develop your marriage relationship. What does that mean? I, I don't know. You have to think about this and ask the Holy Spirit, what does it mean? What kind of time? How much time? Make it a priority in any case. Take a lot, I would say, take a lot of time together. More than you think you need to. Men and young men, see, should I look at somebody about to get married here? Men and young men, listen even more than you think you need to. I'm still amazed after 38 years. I do not listen enough. and communicate with your wives. Invest in your marriage, in other words. Parents, tell your kids you need time alone sometimes. You need marriage time, or whatever you call it, date time. Husbands, we are to love sacrificially as the Lord did by dying for us. What that sacrifice might mean for you could mean balancing your tasks, your do list, sacrificing your comfort or your plans, sacrificing for the sake of her relationship, or your relationship with her. And we're to wash her with the water of the word, Ephesians 5, meaning that we must be in the word to bring it to bear in our family's lives and for their sanctification. Men, we don't 
have to be smarter than our wives. But we do have to lead. We do have to lead. It's all by his grace. And it's vital to this uh, relationship. Wives, the Lord will honor your sacrifice as you submit to your husbands, as to the Lord, for the Lord's honor. Your husband has weaknesses. You, of course, know more than anyone. But vows made to the Lord are binding, and you have the major role in building him up so that he can do what he's called to do. So pray for him. He will be more able to be what you need and legitimately want as you're praying. You undermine what you biblically should want if you make it harder for him to lead. Both roles demand humility. They demand grace that only the Lord gives. So focus on him together. You know the triangle as two people are, excuse me, I'm going to get my voice back. Two people are drawing nearer to the Lord. They're drawing closer to each other. So focus on him together. And let's honor marriage in our relationship with our spouse by cherishing it. What might that mean for you? Ask the Lord to open your eyes and develop it. Verse five and six, let your conduct be without covetousness, but be content with such things as you have. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now this may not seem at first to fit with the theme of relationships exactly, but uh, which the other verses clearly do, I, I believe. But our relationship, if you want to use that, with our possessions actually has a large impact on our relationships with people, or it can. These things that we have, that we have can be relationship enhancers used for getting closer together, or relationship detractors. When I talked about hospitality, you need, generally you need a home uh, for that, and that can certainly enhance service. But it can also take a ton of time. Um, it can, can become a, a detraction. <clears throat> and mammon. Can't serve both at the same time. So we're to be free, dear family, from the love of money, of course, and the supposed security of accumulating these possess- possessions. And I'm not saying we can't have nice things. Certainly the Lord has blessed us. Um, but they must all be submitted to the use of the master. And if you don't have all you want, then, then don't expend more than you should at the sacrifice of these precious relationships. First Timothy 6 says, let them, those who are rich in this present age, and I would say that as all of us, do good that they may be rich in good works ready to give, willing to share. So rather than, you know, accumulating riches, do these things. Storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold of eternal life. In other words, use what God gives us, all these good things, to invest in eternal things. People are eternal. Souls are eternal. Relationships have eternal consequences. Take heed and beware of All covetousness for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. So the meaning and the purpose, really, of your life has to do with relationships, I believe. First with the Lord Jesus, and then with uh, these people here and all the people that the Lord brings into your life. 
Contentment allows you to put energy, I believe, into developing relationships and to expend yourselves for others. But discontentment and anxiety over material possessions can occupy your mind and time so much that you don't have or you don't take the time. You don't have the strength or the desire to serve, maybe, or the energy you need to relate. It does take energy. So how do we grow in this area? Ask God to give you a heart to use all that he has given you for kingdom purposes and to keep you from covetousness. It's good to pray this and not assume that you are free from covetousness because we live in one of the most materialistic societies on earth. It's all around us. Its influence is continual. So submit yourself to the Lord as a living sacrifice and all you have, all the material things you have, everything you are and everything you have should be on the altar, so to speak, submitted to his use for godly relationships. And I guess one general question I could ask here is, what do you think is hindering your time for relationships? Ask the Lord to open your eyes. Ask him to give you a giving heart also, one that looks for ways to give and to serve. God creates in us a content heart as we obey in the area of, for example, tithing. And we're to rejoice in that. We're to trust him to provide and to meditate on his promises also is another idea of provision when you struggle with discontentment. I listed just my go-to verses on that. And so believe God's promises here that he will never leave you nor forsake you and be content so that you can use everything, what he has given to you to develop relationships for his glory. Don't allow things ever to become relationship detractors. Verse seven, remember those who rule over you, in other words, lead, who have spoken the word of God to you, whose faith follow, considering the outcome of their conduct. Here we are again urged to remember something, as we were in verse two, that was in the negative. It said, don't forget to entertain strangers. Verse three said, remember the prisoners. Now this says, remember those who rule over you, because it's easy to forget, again, to forget others' needs and to forget our responsibility to develop relationships. And so here we're urged to remember those who rule over us or maybe ruled over us too uh, or guide us. Those who have spoken or are speaking the word of God to us. And not only remember what they have said and what they've taught, but remember the fruit of their character, their faith. It says, whose faith follow? Look at the outcome of their conduct. Matthew Henry said this, remember to him, said, meant this, four things. Remember their preaching, their praying, their private counsel, and their example. So we should remember those who also died in the faith as martyrs and remember those who suffered uh, for the faith, even way back, who are still leading us in a sense, teaching us through their writings. We have the list in Hebrews 11. There's Augustine, Luther, Knox, Calvin, the Reformers, the Puritans. We read, we love to read those. It's helpful for us to understand these actually are kind of like leaders in the past for us. They were faithful to the end and are good, still good role models and examples to emulate. They're like Abel. By their faithfulness, though they are dead, they still speak. Well, later in this chapter, verse 17, in verse 17, another key verse on leadership, on your relationship with leaders, it says, obey those who rule over you, similar to this, and be submissive, for they watch out 
for your souls as those who must give account. Let them do so with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable to you. Now, respecting those whom the Lord has put over you can be and should be a great blessing. It is profitable and advantageous uh, in your growth in faith. Leaders are under shepherds of the great shepherd. They guard the flock. And like watchmen at the gate, they raise an alarm to protect the city. This is our calling for which we will have to give account. And let me tell you, I'm sure Phil feels the same way. And when I think about this and his calling, I praise God that he gives grace for what he calls us to do. I praise God many of you, I know, are faithful prayers for us and for your leaders. And I rejoice in that. And we do love this flock. And we realize our own weaknesses in teaching and shepherding. But we serve with joy and in the fear of God and we desire closer relationship. I think you know that. So call us up more if you want to do that. You know that we'll call you anyway. But So how do we all grow in this? How do you relate, grow in your relationship with the leaders and elders? Well, first of all, follow, to follow the faith of another, of course, you have to spend some time with them. We are okay with that. And observe them. Pray for them, certainly. Learn more about the path of their faith and their growth. I'd be glad to tell you more about that. Communicate with them, not just when there's a need. You can certainly seek us out. And thank God, also, for the past leaders in your life. Through through this, I was thinking of some of the leaders way back in the early time with the navigators on campus and others. It's a great blessing to me. I still think of their impact on my life. Pray because the enemy will attack the leader and his family. Any leader. Parents. In Romans 15, 30, Paul said, I beg you that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. This is the Apostle Paul. I beg you to pray for me. To strive together with and for your leaders is, again, profitable for you because your leaders are a means of defense and their ability to lead and and protect impacts your safety, your family, now here I address the children, not the ones that are crying. Uh, children, pray for your parents. Pray for them. So remember your leaders. Pray for them. Relate with them and emulate them. And I'd like to say here, well, maybe I'll add that just a little bit later. So the final relationship. Well, no, let me, let me stop. Related to children. I'm going to talk about change in just a second. And... Children, I would say it is very necessary for you to pray for your, your parents. They, are, they have some of the same roles that the elders have in this church. Are you praying for your parents? Daily, I hope. Okay, the final relationship. Not final in order, though. Not final in priority. Actually, it's the one on which all these others are based. Verse 8, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday today and forever. He is the same as he was yesterday, he, as he was in the council of the Godhead from eternity past and has always been. He is the same today, meaning at the time this letter was written, I believe, he, he has been the same also this past 2,000 years or so since the cross. He is the same even now, this day. He is the same loving, almighty, forgiving, 
all-wise God of grace, the Savior of his children. And Jesus will be the same forever. He is unchangeable. He is immutable. Malachi 3 says, I am the Lord. I do not change. Therefore, you are not consumed. Praise God. Matthew, Malachi 3, 6. And praise God, we can have a relationship with the one person who never changes. Because as good as all these other relationships with one another can be, by his grace, they will change. Since we change, and and the people we relate with will change. Now by the grace of God, Christians are being changed into the likeness of the Lord as he sanctifies us from one degree of glory to, to another. So it's good that we are changing in that way. But it's kind of hard, right? Sometimes when people change. And they change for different reasons. Even those you have been around a lot. I've been married for 38 years. I'm still amazed when Sherry says, I didn't know that about you. Uh, or, or something like that. Or she says, that's, that's new to me. Wow, I didn't know that. You've changed. Not just my hairline. And the bride I married has changed too. And certainly she knows her knight in shining armor or, or tarnished armor has changed. Okay, kids, this is what I meant to say, just to, and I'm concluding here. Kids, you don't know how challenging it is for parents because you change a lot. I mean, really, even the younger ones, they change a lot. You think, you think your parents need to change. Okay, pray for them. But you really change a lot. And I'm not talking about changing diapers here. I'm, you're, you're changing in character. You're, you're changing in so many ways very quickly to us, sometimes in a short amount of time. So you might want to give your folks grace. We looked at that in verse, uh, chapter 12, verse 28. Let us have grace. Have grace for your parents when you think they don't change fast enough. And I'm pretty sure my sons think I don't change fast enough with the uh, culture of the technology. And that, that may not change, sons. Sorry. But the fact that Jesus Christ never changes gives us stability. He is our stability to be able to develop all these other relationships. He is the stability of our times. He is our rock, which is a symbol of something that cannot be moved or changed. And so as we began Hebrews 12, he is the king of the unshakable kingdom, which cannot change, of which by grace we are a part. So if you want these other relationships to grow, they must be founded upon a growing relationship with Jesus Christ because nothing else and no one else is unchangeable or unshakable. We must be rooted and built up in him. That's Colossians 3. You can't have weak roots and hope to have a strong plant. You can't have a weak relationship with Jesus Christ and hope to have strong interpersonal relationships with one another. We It's not going to work. But the beauty and joy of the gospel is that we can have joyful, healthy, growing, loving relationships with him and through him. It is possible, no matter how broken your relationships might be now, there is hope in the Lord Jesus in all relationships. So your enemy and your flesh and the worldly culture around you will resist the growth of your relationship with the Lord Jesus and with your fellow saints. But God gives grace and you can pray that he would fill you with a desire to know him. Like Paul said, that I may know you and the power of your resurrection. Philippians 3.10. And that you will point then, you can point him, others to him also. And we should always be doing that. Are you growing in your relationship with him? 
the one who died for you and loves you with an everlasting love. Make it a daily priority to have a personal devotional time with your Savior and fight to keep it. You almost have to. The whole book of Hebrews is making the point that there, is, there are no really rituals or ceremonies that stop us from meeting with him now or relating with him. Those were necessary in the past. But now the door is open. Jesus said, come to me. Meet with me. So meet with him. That's the gospel. Come to him and develop your relationship as a servant of your loving master. It's incredible that we can have that kind of relationship with him. And yet we often don't pursue him as we could. So we must follow hard after him. So, just to conclude this part, fathers and husbands, I speak especially to you in this part here on relating with the Lord Jesus. Because your zeal here in your communion with the Lord will encourage your family greatly. It is foundational, really, for them. Your leading here will teach them, even without many words. You don't have to speak a lot, but by your example and your hunger for him. And so, if you want right relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, if you want growing relationships with strangers, those bound for Christ, uh, or an outreach to those who, who you don't know, who don't know him, if you long for a deep closeness and a oneness with your marriage partner, and if you see the importance of relating with those who rule over you, then delight yourself in the Lord. Taste and see that he is good. Pursue him, and then your relationship with him will grow, and he will give you joyful relationships with others. Let's pray. The Lord God, you are a God who relates and communicates and we are made in your image. And Lord, because that image has been marred by sin, we pray, as I've urged during this time, that you would grant us grace to grow in you and, and so be able to grow in delightful relationships with others. Oh Lord, fill us with the joy of meeting with you, with a thirst to relate with you in a deeper and deeper way. And so be rooted in you and built up in you. And Lord, may this church be full of people who are relating in the power of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, have an impact on those around us, far greater than all that we can ask and think. And we pray all this for the glory of your name and in the name of Jesus, amen.